Uh, you all know what I'm talking about. You've either been that person where you showed up at a new school or new job, new situation, or uh, you were there and saw the new person arrive. And it's always a little unsettling, isn't it? Uh, everybody's watching the, the new guy is under such scrutiny, and we're, we're watching the new guy. Is he going to fit in? What's he like? Will we be friends? We have a, a situation in our text that is sort of like that here in Mark's gospel. But we must be honest. Mark is presenting someone in Jesus who is not simply the new guy, but the quintessential new person. Not just new in the sense that he's unknown, but new in the true sense, new as in better than anyone else who has a whole new way of doing things, a whole new way of seeing the world, a whole new way of living, and as we'll see in our text, of even teaching. A new teacher, Mark, makes it clear that Jesus is unique. He's not just a new guy, but he is the one who is making all things new. A new leader leading a new exodus. Well, as we examine these verses this morning, I want us to pay very close attention to, to God's Word and focus with me for a few moments on this new teacher, Jesus. How will we respond to him. Maybe we should ask this question too. Has the way we have responded been the appropriate response? Well, let's jump into our text. And as we do so this morning, I want to present to you three considerations from our passage. And we begin with this, the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus as we Think about what's here before us on these a few verses that we're going to look at. I want to point out a few things about the teaching of Jesus. And I want to begin with the, the fact that it is simply stated and emphasized. The teaching stated and emphasized. Notice with me, if you will, verse 21, which says, And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And then the first part of verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching. Now, if we read through our text too quickly, I think we'll miss one of Mark's main points, which is to emphasize the teaching ministry of Jesus. We call attention here to the fact that Mark emphasizes the teaching ministry of Jesus. When we read Mark's account or, or any of the other gospel accounts, we're probably prone to, to looking for what we would consider those exciting parts, right? The miracles, uh, the, the mighty works of Jesus where he feeds 5,000 and calms the storms and, and 
heals people. And even as we will see here in this uh, section today, uh, the exorcism of a demon. We love those parts of the story of Jesus, right? They, they grab our attention. But what I want us to notice here is that there is an emphasis on Jesus particularly teaching. Don't miss this. Mark's emphasis here is on the spoken word and this aspect of the ministry of Jesus. If you look back at verse 14... Uh, you'll notice there that it says, when Jesus came into Galilee, he did what? He did so proclaiming the gospel of God. And so here in verse 14, we have the proclaiming of the gospel, that is the, the preaching. And now here in verse 21, we have teaching. You'll recall that the word in, in 14, verse 14, for proclaiming or preaching is a word that means a public announcement, to publish abroad. And here in verse 21 and 22, we have a, a different word. It's translated teaching, and it means to instruct by word of mouth. What I want you to see that in both instances here, there is a very clear emphasis on the spoken word of Jesus. It's not that he didn't do those other things. And the healings and the miracles and all those things, those are all very important part of the story for sure. But too quickly, I think we emphasize those things at the expense of recognizing Jesus as a preacher and a teacher. Uh, people will argue about this. Well, uh, which one's more important? Preaching? teaching it's really a silly argument isn't it uh, we don't have to exclude either both are necessary when you look at the ministry of christ as portrayed for us in the gospels when you look at the ministry of the apostles as given to us in the epistles there's always both there's always the the clear bold declaration of the good news of jesus and then there's always instruction that comes along beside it so there's no, no reason to argue as to either or here. We have a clear statement and emphasis of Jesus' teaching. And now I want us to see next the teaching described. The teaching described. Uh, look again, the second half of verse 22 says, He, Jesus, taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And then if you will, look down at verse 27, which says, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. Now, in both of those verses, you have a common word, don't you? What is it? Authority. There's emphasis here on the authority in Jesus' teaching as we come to this section here in Mark's gospel, really what we have is just a, a very typical scenario, right? Jesus and the disciples come to Capernaum. This will be the town that, that Jesus settles in. It'll, it'll be his new hometown. He has moved away from uh, Nazareth. Capernaum's a, 
a small town on the Sea of Galilee is a very important fishing uh, village. And we already saw last week where Jesus calls his first disciples. They were fishermen, right? And then we see that this particular day is the Sabbath day. And what did they do back then on the Sabbath? Well, they, they would gather together in the synagogue. So this is exactly what they've done. They're just following uh, the norm of the day, right? Here in Capernaum, this small fishing village, they're just following the custom. And people are gathered and for the purpose of hearing Scripture read, and someone would expound on the text, usually a scribe. Now, not always, not exclusively, but often it would be a scribe. Now, what were scribes? Well, scribes were uh, primarily copyists. But they had a very important task to make sure that everything was copied uh, very accurately. Back in those days, they didn't have uh, Xerox machines, couldn't uh, make copies the way we do now. Uh, when they made copies of the Word of God, it was a, uh, a very spiritual task given to the scribes, and their uh, particular responsibility was to guard and make sure that there was nothing else included or nothing left out. It's a very lofty position. Now, in Jesus' case, we don't really know how it was that he would have been recognized as a teacher. He wasn't a scribe. What credentials did Jesus have? Mark doesn't tell us that he had any. It may be that Jesus simply requested to teach that day. And so uh, he does so and almost for sure he would have taken a scroll. Mark doesn't tell us this. But anyone who would have been teaching in the synagogue would have taken a particular scroll, unrolled it, and read a section of scroll. If you remember in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 4, uh, this is what he tells us that Jesus did. He took the scroll from Isaiah 61, remember? And so here we have a, a scenario in Mark's gospel where we're not told exactly how it was that Jesus was recognized as a teacher, but he was. And immediately, we see that there is something different about this teacher. This is not a typical, uh, ordinary Sabbath day in synagogue in Capernaum, is it? This one who is teaching, he commands everyone's attention. And everyone recognizes that this one, Jesus, teaches with authority, not as the scribes. It must have been tough to be a scribe and, and reading this account when you, when you got a copy of it, huh? Wow, well, that doesn't speak very highly of us, does it? Well, it says Jesus taught with authority. The word authority here conveys the exercising of authority over someone and so as jesus is teaching he's not just giving the opinion of uh, the the pharisees and the rabbis uh, of their day he's not just giving different views and 
and maybe expressing the one that he thinks might be the best view. No, this is not what Jesus is doing. He is explaining how God's word is to be applied without question. Now, what does he say exactly? Well, Mark doesn't tell us, does he? Now, later on, we'll get to uh, some of the parables and some of the teachings of Jesus that are given to us verbatim. But Mark doesn't say here. And so we might wonder, well, what is exactly is Jesus doing? What is it about his teaching that stands out? Well, uh, we can't say for sure because we don't know exactly what he said. But if I were to just look ahead a little bit to Mark chapter 2, verses 23 and following, uh, you'll remember that there's an incident there where Jesus and some of his disciples are going through a field. You remember this? Picture this. They're going through uh, a field of grain and they pluck some of that grain and begin to eat it. And that too happened on a Sabbath day. And many people were questioning, hey, what, what are your disciples doing? Violating the Sabbath. And what did Jesus say? Oh, hey, I'm the teacher there with me. It's okay. That is not what Jesus did. Jesus opened up the scriptures and says, well, don't you remember? Don't you remember the story where, where David and his men were, were on the run and they were hungry and they went to the priest? And the only thing the priest had was the, the bread of the presence. And David and his men ate that. Now, surely they didn't sin, did they? What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is authoritatively taking God's word and showing how it applies to those who belong to him. Not just some opinions and some stories and some illustrations. Jesus will tell some parables and give some great illustrations, won't he? Maybe you recall the way that Matthew explains how Jesus taught in that first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that refrain that goes over and over in, in Matthew uh, 4, 5, and 6? You have heard it said, but I say to you. Wow. This is different. This is one who teaches with authority. And the people recognize it and they are amazed. But I want to give you one final statement made about the teaching of Jesus. And it is not simply stated and emphasized and, and not just that it is with authority. But I want you to consider with me teaching as fulfillment. Teaching as fulfillment. You might say, well, what exactly do you mean? Well, I made an allusion earlier to the passage in Isaiah 61. That's where Luke tells us that Jesus took the scroll and opened and read. And you know that passage, don't you? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel. And so on and so forth. I'm not going to quote the whole thing. But after... Reading that scroll, Jesus then closes it up and everyone is looking at him and he says, This day the scripture is fulfilled before you. And I think in a very similar way, we should recognize that Mark here is saying 
the same thing. Again, we don't know what passage he read, but what we do know is that Mark, thus far in his gospel, has made uh, allusions. He has even quoted from the prophet Isaiah, the prophet that, as we have stated many times, predicted a new exodus. And Mark is showing us that this new exodus that Isaiah predicted is coming to pass with the coming of Christ. Now, it's clearly stated in the first exodus that the Lord would be the teacher. He would be the one who would instruct his people. In fact, when we look at the word law, as typically given in our scriptures, it is the word Torah. Torah. What does Torah mean? Torah means instruction. And this is exactly what God does, doesn't he? As soon as he redeems his people out of Egypt, he brings them to the base of the mountain, and there he gives them his law, his instruction. Don't see law as a, a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. God has formulated a new people. He has created them, and now he gives them his instruction. And this... I believe Mark is showing us the fulfillment that Jesus, as the teacher of Israel, is coming to pass. These are the words from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We could also point out, Isaiah 8, verses 16 and 17, which says this, Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. What just happened in the previous section? Everybody remember? Jesus calls his disciples, right? He's calling his disciples. And so it says in Isaiah 8, Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Brothers and sisters, Mark is clearly showing us that Jesus is the one. This is the fulfillment of not only the prophet Isaiah who predicts that the Lord will come and be the instructor and be the teacher of his people, but all of the scriptures. And this second exodus is taking place now. Jesus is leading the way, instructing his people. That's the teaching of Jesus, but I want us to consider now for a few moments the authority of Jesus. Now, as already mentioned, Jesus' teaching is with authority. And so, in a sense, we've already talked about this and we've pointed this out. And yet, we must treat this separately for reasons you'll see why here in just a moment. As we said, this was in many ways just kind of a typical Sabbath day. This is what they did every Sabbath, right? They, they gathered together and someone would open a scroll and, and read and teach. But something unusual is happening this day. The new teacher has arrived and everyone recognizes that this is different. But then it gets a little more different. In fact, a little strange and uncomfortable, right? 
you will, look with me at verse 23. It says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now, first, I want us to note that the unclean spirit is recognized. The unclean spirit recognized. Uh, here's the question that, that may uh, strike us. Was this something that was always happening? This particular man with the unclean spirit, was he there every week? Or did this just suddenly happen this particular day that the new guy shows up to teach? What's, what's going on here? Well, I think, even though the text doesn't tell us explicitly, I think there is a hint that this may have been the first time this happened. And the hint is the word immediately. Now, we've talked about this word before. Mark uses it a lot right here in the opening chapter, right? What does it mean? Well, when we use immediately, what do we, what do we think? Do it right now. Don't wait, right? There's a little bit of a different nuance here for Mark. It's a word that, that pertains to being in a straight line. I think I mentioned to you that some of the older translations, instead of immediately, they had the word straightway. And straightway, there was a man there with an unclean spirit. In other words, what Mark is telling us is that this is uh, a, an unclean spirit, not that he was just recognized right away, but that there is a confrontation here. This is a, a showdown that has happened intentionally. And Jesus is going to confront this unclean spirit. What will happen? Well, after we see the unclean spirit recognized, we next see that it speaks. The unclean spirit speaks, and what an unusual address it has for this new teacher. Notice verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, what we notice immediately is that although Jesus may have been, uh, you know, this, this first time for him to come to the synagogue in Capernaum, maybe no one knew. It, it sounds like uh, Jesus was the new guy, but someone there knew him. This unclean spirit knew who Jesus was, didn't he? There may have been a good bit of surprise from everyone else about what was taking place with Jesus being there, but not on the part of the unclean spirit. This demon knows exactly who Jesus is, and note here that he speaks using the, the conversational first-person plural, what have you to do with us? Now, why does he say it that way? Is it because uh, there were more than one demon? Well, the, the text tells us only of one. But rather this unclean spirit seems to be speaking on behalf of the other demons who could have been in and around the area of Capernaum and Galilee and he recognizes that there is an opponent in the arena with him. And he knows that this opponent 
doesn't just have his sights on this one spirit. What do you have to do with us? He says. And then he asks what can only be a rhetorical question, right? Have you come to destroy us? That's a recognition on the part of this unclean spirit that Jesus can, in fact, do that. And so we have this unclean spirit recognized and we have him speaking. And then finally, I want you to notice that the unclean spirit is rebuked. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Now again, whatever Jesus said to the people, we don't know. Whatever his teaching was, we, we don't know. We can only speculate. But we don't speculate about what Jesus said to the unclean spirit. Mark makes it very clear, doesn't he? He does record Jesus' exact words as he addresses this unclean spirit. And is so often the case, what does Jesus demand? Silence. The first thing he tells this spirit is, be quiet. Silence. Why do you think that is? This is almost always the case when Jesus confronts an unclean spirit, right? They seem to have this desire to want to say something, to express something, and Jesus quiets them and says, no, you're not going to speak. I'm the teacher. I'm the one with authority. Silence. Jesus rebukes this unclean spirit. And simply with these words, be silent and come out of him. And that's exactly what happens in verse 26. It says, And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Uh, this is, too, so often the case when Jesus exercises a demon. There's always a shrieking and a convulsing, right? Now, now why do you think that is? It's an unusual thing, hard for us to imagine, isn't it? I, I've never seen anything like this. But I think, if nothing else, it's to show the people there that something is happening, something out of the ordinary. This person who maybe had been coming there for who knows how long, uh, who had been tormented, something happened, and Jesus set this person free. It's clearly visible to all there in the synagogue that day that Jesus had cast out a demon. And they recognized this. But what do we see? As we're reading this and as we're picturing this in our minds, what exactly do we see here taking place? Well, surely we see the new teacher. He's a very interesting teacher, isn't he? He's captivated everyone. And we see him exercising his authority not just through teaching but through the expulsion of a demon but what else does mark want us to see i think what we must recognize is that there is another signal here to this second exodus jesus's power demonstrated over the demonic world shows him to be in fact the leader of the second exodus. Now, how do we come to that conclusion? 
Well, think back to the first Exodus. That's the pattern, right? That's the type. And when we think back to that first Exodus, we don't have God simply freeing his people from Egypt, right? It wasn't just that Israel was brought out of Egypt. How did God do that? Plague after plague after plague after plague. And what was the purpose of the plagues? Each one of those plagues targeted a false god in Egypt. The demonic. This was God not just redeeming his people. He was indeed doing that, but doing that and rescuing them from the power of the demonic. And so this is why we read that passage that we read in Deuteronomy earlier. And we have a similar passage such as this in Deuteronomy 26, verse 8. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is a phrase you can find over and over and over in Scripture that references not just the original Exodus, but this new Exodus. You'll remember very well probably what is Isaiah's most famous prophecy. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed Isaiah is predicting that a suffering servant will come and with his mighty arm he will rescue God's people and here at this showdown on just an ordinary day at the synagogue in Capernaum Jesus encounters the demonic and he shows his power and his victory over the forces of evil. As Paul puts it in Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is not just a great teacher. Jesus is indeed the teacher par excellence, isn't he? But this is the teacher who bears the mighty hand and outstretched arm of Israel's God and Savior against whom no enemy can stand. No enemy. So we have looked at the teaching of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. There's one final consideration that I want you to think about with me this morning, and that is responding to Jesus. What does one say in response to this a scene here at Capernaum at the synagogue that day. How do you respond to something like this? Well, uh, let's consider a few of the responses that we have here in, in our text. First, the demon. Now, Jesus demands silence from this demon, right? But before he does, I want you to notice what this demon says. Again, verse 24 what can only be called a, a statement of devout worship, brothers and sisters. The demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Of course, you recognize that phrase, don't you? It comes from the Old Testament. 
from the mouth of the demon, Mark is telling us who Jesus is. Jesus will not have it. He, he tells him to be silent. It's amazing to me that in Scripture, demons know who Jesus is. Demons acknowledge Jesus. They even rightly describe him as the Holy One of God. And yet all around us we have people who say, Oh, I don't believe in God. Ah. Uh, you know, you can't really prove ex the existence of God. Jesus, a mythical character. You know what I want to say to people like that? You're dumber than a demon. Even demons know. As James says, not only do they know, but they shudder. They tremble. And yet all around us we have people who brazenly stand up and say, I don't believe in God. Religion's not for me. And yet here we have this demon recognizing Jesus for who he is. And he's only allowed to speak one statement, but what a statement it is, isn't it? You're the Holy One of God. But it's not enough, is it, just to make correct theological statements about Jesus. What about the response of the people? What do they have to say? Well, verse 22 tells us that they were astonished. Verse 27 says that they were amazed. Uh, probably the best way to take verse 22 is that they were shocked. This is a word that is related to uh, uh, striking someone. Uh, you really want to get someone's attention, sometimes you give them a little pat on the head. That'll, that'll jar them up, won't it? Hey, I'm talking to you. And so this is what's going on. It's not just that they were amazed at the teaching of Jesus, but they were shocked. What an impression Jesus has made here with his first teaching session in synagogue. But that's typical for people, isn't it? I mean, even today, there are great orators, gifted teachers, preachers. And what do people do? Well, they follow that teacher or that preacher. There are many out there who have gatherings of thousands hanging on their every word. Enamored. By people with the ability to speak. This is really nothing new. But is this enough? Well, as we know, it is not. What's the proper response to Jesus' teaching here? Well, the response must be from Jesus' followers. A clear devotion and an adherence to his words. Most of you in this room have already responded. The Lord Jesus has spoken into your heart. He is the teacher who has come and opened your eyes to the gospel. The response is repentance and faith. 
As many in you, many of you in this room know, and I hope all of you know, but perhaps some of you do not. The response to Jesus is simply listen and obey and trust him at his every word. Jesus is not just simply showing off his ability to teach his, his speaking gifts or his power over the demonic. Jesus is presenting the kingdom of God. Think back with me to verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like what we have in this room today. Where Jesus, the teacher the leader of the new exodus has come and spoken and his people listen and they follow and they obey and our only proper response is to recognize jesus as who he is the only one who has authority over us who has authority over you preeminently No one but Jesus. And he is our teacher. And he is the one leading the way, going before us. This is from God's word from Psalm 32, verses 7 and 8. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then the Lord speaks directly i will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go i will counsel you with my eye upon you this is our lord jesus brothers and sisters this is who we speak of today amen let's join together father we're thankful for the good news of the gospel of our lord jesus christ the one who has all authority in heaven and earth the one who has spoken and is speaking. And so we set aside every distraction to listen to our Lord Jesus. And we commit ourselves to him. And how we pray, Father, for the strength to come from your spirit. To not only know and understand your word, but to obey. And this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.